If you got a Bible, open it up to John chapter seven this week. We're just continuing in the gospel of John. And John chapter seven this week is verses 25 through 36, continuing the same uh, setting and scenario that we've been in for the last several weeks where Jesus goes up and teaches at the Feast of Tabernacles or the Teeth, uh, teeth. I don't know what that is, all right? The Feast of Booths, all right? And we talked last week about his teaching and how important it is to look at the teaching that we're listening to and who the teaching is tied to. And so today we're gonna start to see the effects of his teaching. And in fact, really in the Gospel of John, is the moment now, following John chapter six, where the heat really starts to get turned up. Um, not only the heat on Jesus, they're, they're now seeking to arrest him and now seeking to really do away with him, but Jesus himself is going to be turning up the heat. And so if last weekend's message was, uh, if you were here and you listened to that, was any, you were like, oh, it's getting hot up in here. Just wait, all right? Uh, because the heat is turning up, and, and you know the old phrase, if you can't stand the heat, get out the kitchen, right? And so we're gonna be doing some work today in the kitchen in John chapter seven, verses 25 through 36. So as always, let's pray, then we'll jump into the text. All right, pray with me. Father, thank you for loving us. God, you show your love to us in so many different ways, in the world that you created and the fact that we are alive today, but there is no other way that you showed it more than through Jesus. Through sending Jesus to live the perfect sinless life that we couldn't live, and yet he gave himself as a sacrifice for us that something we didn't deserve. And so God, we wanna always approach this word, this scripture that we're gonna read as you loving us. And as we talked about last week, God, love does not mean lying to people. So thank you for telling us the truth. And, and God, I pray that we would see this word today as you loving us, as you giving us the truth about who you are. And not only that, about what you're doing in the world. And God, I pray then we would live in light of it as always. But God, we know we can't do this without the work of the Holy Spirit. And so God, we pray right now that you would Fill us with your spirit. Help us to see and to know the truth that is in these words. And then, God, let us move out in power because we have heard the word and we have learned about how much you loved us through it. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so verse 25, like I said, was where we're going to start. And if you're new today, you can always go back and watch the messages. We're just teaching through the gospel according to John. And we're going to just pick right up where we left off last week with Jesus teaching, like I said. So verse 25, it says this. Some of the people of Jerusalem therefore said, is not this the man with whom they seek to kill? And here he is, speaking openly, and they say nothing to him. Can it be that the authorities really know that this is the Christ? Next two verses. But we know where this man comes from. And when the Christ appears, no one will know where he comes from. So Jesus proclaimed as he taught in the temple, you know me and you know where I come from, but I have not come of my own accord. He who sent me is true and him you do not know. Now let's stop and chat here for a second. Again, remember context. Jesus is teaching in the temple and he is teaching in a way where people are like, man, who is this guy? That's what they said last week. Who is this guy who, is, who knows all this stuff? He's learned, but, but he hasn't studied. He hasn't studied it underneath us, but yet he is teaching with such authority. 
And, and now some of the other people, as you got to remember, in, in the feast, literally millions of people would travel back to Jerusalem. So you had all different classes of people. You had the religious teachers. You had kind of the elite class, the movers and shakers. You had all the people that would just be out in the fields working. This was the time where the people of God were commanded to come back together. And so there's all these different groups of people here, and there's a lot of conversations going on about Jesus and what's going on. And so the people that have kind of been out in the fields and working in different cities are coming back and they hear all this buzz about Jesus, and they're saying, well, they, they talk about wanting to arrest him, but, but there he is right there. And they're not even saying anything to him. They're not even engaging him and his teaching, but, but there he is, and and this is where I kind of laugh, and, and there's kind of multiple facets to this message today, and not the main point, but this is kind of a sub-point. I kind of laugh, like all these people that are the cultural leaders are not even engaging with Jesus in his teaching, they're just attacking him. They're just attacking him. And the reason why I kind of laugh is because like, oh, this didn't just happen with the advent of social media. This has been happening for thousands of years. So again, the, the problem is not social media, the problem is people. The problem is us. And, and, and I wanna say this to you because uh, again, we can't control anything else out there, but as a pastor, I can shepherd you well. I wanna help you learn how to argue well with people. And here's what you need to know, and you see this all the time. They're not attacking his ideas, they're attacking him. And that is the lowest form of argument. It's called ad hominem. If you're interested in any of that kind of stuff, we talked about this in my communications degree. That the lowest form of argumentation is, I don't have to listen to your ideas if I can just discredit you as a person. So I just attack you. Whatever the concept is, you may have great ideas, but if I can just get people to believe that you're a bad person, then they won't listen to you. And what I'm saying to you, that's the lowest form of argumentation. That's the easiest form, that's the cheapest form, because you don't have to really do any work, you don't have to do any study about the concepts and the ideas and what they're bringing about. If I just attack you, then no one listens to you. And so I find it interesting that that's what the religious leaders are doing. And the common folk around are like, well, there he is right there. Won't you go talk to him? Won't you go see what he's saying? And then they start to think, well, maybe it's because they already know he's the Christ. Maybe the reason why they don't want to engage in his ideas is because they're scared that what he's saying is actually true. Which this is why I'm telling you this, especially in 21st century world, is the moment we as Christians move out into the world and instead of engaging ideas, we just attack people, it shows the weakness of our position. It shows the weakness of our arguments because we don't think our arguments will stand up, so we'll just attack the people. But again, think back to last week when I was talking about teaching. If the teaching of Jesus is from God, it is true, then we don't have to be concerned about someone pointing it out to be false. So watch as Christians should move out into the world with courage and what we believe in our convictions and compassion. 
We should say hard truths in the most loving ways. We can engage with people in their ideas without stooping to, honestly, a demonic form of argumentation that says, I'm just gonna attack you and try to discredit you. No, we can move out in the most loving ways. And the argument, or the goal, I'm sorry, is for people to say, you know what? I don't agree with what you're saying, but I like you. I don't agree that that's true, but you're not a jerk. You're somebody I'd like to get dinner with. But yet, is that how we argue today? Let me ask it like this. Anybody had dinner with someone recently that they vehemently disagree with? Yeah, I didn't think so. But that's how we act. And the reason why I'm pointing it out is that's not how they were acting with Jesus. Because Jesus was the embodiment of love and therefore they are not the embodiment of love. And love says, you know what? I love you enough that even though we disagree, I'm still gonna engage with you. That's what loving my neighbor is about. But what we do is like, well, I don't like my neighbor, so I'm gonna move to somewhere where I like my neighbor. And then I'll love them. I'm gonna move in a neighborhood where we all got the same flags flying. Right? That's how we think and act. And that's how they thought and acted. And here's where I, I'm, why I'm saying love, because I've just learned this in my own life. The people who love me are the ones, remember our cultural statements, assume the best, are the ones who will come to me and say, you know, Pastor Jason, I, I love you and there's something that you said that I was confused about. Can you help me understand that more? And then we can engage in a conversation and they may not still agree with me, but we had a pleasant conversation because those that love you will come to you, but those who don't love you will go to everybody else and try to build a coalition against you. And then they will come to you. This is my favorite in church world. Well, you know, I've heard, or this is the best. Well, this is how everybody feels. And everybody's always like five people. It's always the five that agree with them. Have you noticed that? But listen to me, church. In our family, we don't do that. In our family, we engage ideas. We don't attack people. And so that's the type of family. I don't know about you, but that's the type of family I want to be in. I don't want to walk up in a conversation with my brothers and sisters and they immediately stop talking because they were talking about me. And that's what they were doing with Jesus. But notice how Jesus engages back in a loving way. He engages back with the content of their conversation. Because see, one of the things that they were saying was a misunderstanding of the Old Testament because they said, oh, when the Messiah comes, we won't know where he comes from. And, and this is one of the biggest um, problems still to this day with Jewish believers because they misunderstood that the Old Testament actually talked about two comings, not one. And so there were different prophecies in the Old Testament that talked about Jesus coming as a suffering servant. And we knew that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem and we knew these things about him. And then there was other prophecies that said, well, he's going to appear like a conquering king and judge the nations. And so they misunderstood that it was actually talking about two comings. In fact, it's very easy to misunderstand that. So it's, it's understandable. It's not until Christ shows up and then he raises again that then the apostles are like, 
oh, that's what he meant. And so there's this idea that, that Jesus, the Messiah, was gonna just like show up out of nowhere. And we now know, because of the revelation, because of the New Testament, because of the apostles, that that was referring to his second coming, not his first. His first one, we would know where he was from. And Jesus met all those qualifications. His second one, he will appear out of the clouds. Like in a, in a bang, in a flash, bam, there he is. And so that's what they were thinking. So they're, they're sitting there, again, engaging with the ideas. And Jesus says, the problem is, you don't know him who sent me. You know some stuff, but you don't know him. And you don't know that I didn't come on my own accord. Now, again, I told you last week, Jesus is not only our teacher, but he's our example. And this is such a good thing, a good word for us to learn is even Jesus says, listen, I don't come on my own accord. He's saying, I don't come on my own authority. I don't come on my own power. I come from God. And so when Jesus showed up in the world, he didn't show up for his own glory. And this is good for us to learn because how we show up in the world will make a difference about how they believe in Jesus. So we don't need to show up in the world of our own accord. We don't need to show up in the world of our own authority. We need to understand the timeline, the story of the Bible and show up, yes, with the authority of Christ, but show up as the servant of others. That's how Jesus shows up. He shows up in the world, not of his own accord, with an S on his chest saying, everybody worship me, but he shows up on the accord of the Father, on the power and the authority of the Father and washes people's feet. And that to this day is still the most attractive thing about Jesus. Because you could not agree with Jesus's teachings, but it's really hard to argue with Jesus's lifestyle. Even people who don't believe in Jesus think he's a good guy because of how he lived. Now, there's some deeper truth that I wanna get into. Again, those, aren't even, those are kind of like subpoints into the main point of the message. But look at verse 29 and 30. Jesus says, I know him, for I come from him and he sent me. So they were seeking <clears throat> to arrest him, but no one laid a hand on him because his hour had not yet come. Notice again, what Jesus says and what John says about Jesus. Jesus says, I know him because I come from him and he sent me. Again, the point for us is we better know him. And it should so inform how we show up in the world that we live sent by him. But the main point that I want to point out here is what John says. Now they were seeking to arrest him, but no one laid a hand on him. No one laid a hand on him. Why? Because his hour had not yet come. Now, it doesn't take very much to look around our world today and to come to the conclusion that people have gone insane. Right? Especially if, if you love Jesus, you're trying to be godly, uh, you're looking around the world, and especially if you've been on the world for over 30 or 40 years, 
You, you remember, you have some memories of how things were different um, and society, even though it wasn't Christian, it, it definitely had Christian principles kind of grounding things. And, and, and now over the last few decades, it just feels like everybody is casting that off because they are. And, and kind of our common assumptions about life, about marriage, about people, about identity has just radically and completely changed. And also what I have noticed, especially over the last 18, 19 months with COVID, and I mean, gosh, I'm just even tired of talking about it, but the heat has been ratcheted up again. I mean, the, I mean everything has just been turned to 10. And we as Christians can see that can look at all that and, and start getting really anxious and nervous and thinking, what in the world is going on? And then we start looking into all these conspiracy theories because our brains have to make sense of things that feel like there's no patterns. And so then we listen to crazy people that tell us the patterns and we're like, oh, that's awesome. That's true. And like, no, that's insane. Because you're listening to these wacko people who just make up stuff for clicks for you to follow and listen and conspiracy theories, and, and Christians, we're the worst at this. And, and one of the reasons is because we know what we see is not right, and we're trying to figure out why it's not right. But this is why I always try to teach this way, and I'm pointing it out as one of the main points that John's trying to make. Nothing is happening in this world that is outside of God's control. Nothing is happening and no one will lay a hand on you until the time. Because they didn't lay a hand on Jesus until his hour had come. Now here's why this is so important for us to understand. They are gonna lay hands on Jesus. Make no mistake about it. They are going to arrest him. Suffering is coming for Jesus, but it will not come until God says it comes. And that is something that you and I need to get in our spirit today. That regardless of what's going on around us, nothing is outside of God's sovereign hand. Nothing is happening in our world today that is outside of God's ability to control and direct for his will. Now make no mistake about it, it's evil. What they did to Jesus was evil. I'm not saying it's good, and you shouldn't say it's good. And you shouldn't say, well, yeah, that's not, but that was good. No, it's not good. It's bad. It's evil. But the will of God won't happen in spite of evil people's decisions. It will happen through them. That's what's crazy about the sovereignty of God. So Jesus could show up in the, Jesus could go teach in the temple with authority because he knew they won't lay a hand on me until God lets them. And what if we showed up in the world like that? Let me give you some verses and I've got them here on the screen. Psalm chapter two, verse one through six. This is what the Old Testament says about Jesus. Verse one, why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, capital A, that's about Jesus, saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. If you wanna know what's happening in the world today, it just told you. Kings and authorities and powers of the world are saying, let us get these restrictions off of us. Let us throw off all this old 
concepts about life and marriage and identity. That, that's so old and repressive. And why would you want to read this old book? This is 21st century. And so kings and rulers and those in authority and power, that is always going to be their desire to bust out from what they feel is restrictive. And if you and I as Christians don't read the next verse, we will be like, what is happening? But look at the next verse, verse four. He who sits in the heavens laughs. He laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. That means mockery. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, as for me, I've set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I don't know about you, but I do want a God that loves me and laughs at people trying to make plans against him. Think about that. Now, Again, God is not laughing at the evil because he just says wrath and he's gonna talk more about the wrath in a minute. No, that's wicked and evil. So wicked and evil, he had to send his son Jesus to die for it. And so at the end of the day, God will either punish people or he will punish Jesus in the place of people. Do not misunderstand the wrath of God for this mistaking weird idea of love. When God sees wickedness, he hates it. He hates it. It's against his nature and he will judge it. So when I'm saying laughing, I'm not saying God is up there like laughing about what's happening. He's laughing about people's plans. He's laughing about what kingdoms plan as if they could somehow burst their bonds off of him, off of them. But yet, what do we as Christians do? We watch, we watch a bunch of news. We're like, what about this nation? What about this nation? What about this? Oh my gosh, this is going crazy. And every generation has some nation that's the boogeyman. Just go back and look at it. Every generation freaks out over the events that are happening in their generation because Jesus said there'd be wars and rumors of wars and pestilence and volcanoes and tornadoes and everybody's like, ah! Hair's on fire. And then we write crazy books. <laughs> you know, there's a book that was written in 1988 called The 88 Reasons Jesus Will Return in 1988. Yeah. Listen, it was a bestseller. You couldn't find a copy of it because Christians believe this whack theology about all these certain events that's gonna happen and the rapture and then this and then this and then this and then this and they're like, oh, where are we? Guess what? 1989 came. <laughs> but I'm not lying. You wanna know what the author did? He wrote another book <laughs> called The Final Shout. Jesus come back 1989. I'm for real. And he said, oh, I forgot about the Gregorian calendar, how it's off one year. My bad. <laughs> then guess what happened? 1990, the best decade ever was ushered in. And then he wrote another one. In 1993, 
23 reasons why he will come back in 1993. And us as Christians, we read that book, those books like they're crack. In our generation, it was all the Left Behind series. I mean, I love, I love me some Kirk Cameron, Cameron, but man. Well, there's a blood moon. And then you wake up the next day. And, and listen, I know. That's why I warned you. I'm, I know that some of you, you don't like what I'm saying. And you may leave over this. But hear me. I'm not making fun of you. I'm just saying, you and I have to learn how to not live out of fretting so much. How could Jesus confidently walk to his own death? Because he knew that wasn't the end. And that is the greatest testimony we can have to the world. Why would any unbelieving person want to come to our church and get more anxious? And get more worry. No. We can read our Bibles and know, listen, no one's going to lay a hand until it's time. Let me give you this point and then I'll prove it in the next scripture. Do not fret, but live out of the yet. Do not fret. Worry, but live out of the yet, what do I mean by that? Look at verse 31. Yet. If you didn't know that word was coming in the scriptures, you hadn't been listening to me long enough. Yet. They were seeking to arrest him, but no one laid a hand on him because his hour had not yet come. Yet. What? Many of the people believed in him. They said, when the Christ appears, will he do more signs than this man has done? The Pharisees heard the crowds muttering these things about him and the chief priests and Pharisees sent officers to arrest him. Good luck with that. Nations scheme, but the Lord laughs. Yet. If you've been around our church, you know I love conjunctions. Conjunction, junction, what's your function? Conjunctions have a function. And their function is to remind you that in the darkest of circumstances, yet, there's a God who's in control. Now, the same word here, conjunction, is the same word for but, which it said in verse 30, but no one laid a hand on him. And again, you know, my, first, my favorite two verses in the Bible are, we were dead in our trespasses and sins, but God. Favorite two words, I think I said verses. But God. Best two words. You want to know the story of the Bible, but God. You want to know the story of what's happening in 2021, but God. Yet, many believed. Listen, I don't claim to know, and, and anybody who does claim to know, like all the details and has this nice chart and timelines are going to write best-selling books and they'll be wrong. I don't claim to know what's going on right now. But what I claim to know is God knows and is in control of what's going on right now. So I need to look at the meta message of what he's giving us. 
which I believe the meta message, and by that I mean the big message of what God is giving us is don't fret, but go. Live out of the truth that I'm in charge and take my gospel message so that people can believe. Quit walking around in circles worrying, watching the news, and go love your neighbor. Because if you don't, they won't believe. And I think that's the message to us. The message to us today in 21st century America coming out of John 7 in the craziness of what we have seen and experienced is God is in control. And if he's in control, we can trust him and we can take the gospel to our neighbors. Because what if God brought this to wake us up to the truth that he's in control? Because you can believe that when everything's up and to the right. But it's harder to believe that when it's dark and you can't see anything, but yet you're going to take a step of faith anyway. So we have to learn how to not fret, but live out of the yet. Live out of the truth that God has got this so I can go. Now let's keep going. Verse 33, Jesus then said, I will be with you a little longer. And then I am going to him who sent me. You will seek me and you will not find me. Where I am, you cannot come. Now again, they misunderstand what he's saying. And I'll point out what they say in a second about what they think he's saying, and they're wrong. But Jesus in this moment is prophesying. And prophesying is simply telling the truth. Now sometimes it has like a futuristic bent to it about events that will happen. Sometimes it's just some testifying to the truth about what did happen. But prophecy is about things that are true irrespective of time. So that's why it can have a, a forward-leaning bent to it. And Jesus, in one sense, is doing that here. He's telling them what's about to happen before it happens. So that when it happens, they can look back and say, he told us this was the Christ. But he's also getting at something that's larger. He's saying, listen, I'm about to do something that you can't do. Now, I got corrected a lot as a young kid with my English teacher. She had my brother, six years older than me in English, and she knew I gotta watch out for them Gertises. And so she spent some time with me and helping me learn, and now I'm so thankful, and she was a believer. But I was like, hey, can I do this? And she was like, I don't know, can you? Right? And then my mama would do that all the time. Hey, mama, can I do this? I don't know. Can you? May I? Because <laughs> we know can has to do with ability. May has to do with permission, right? And so now, because that's, I correct people all the time. Can you do this? I don't know. Can you? But Jesus chooses that word on purpose. He says, I'm about to do something, about to go somewhere that you cannot and what he's saying is about ability. You and I do not have the ability to get to God. You and I do not have the ability to live a righteous life. You and I do not have the ability to save ourselves. So Jesus is saying, I'm about to do something that you can't do. That's the essence of the gospel. Jesus did what we couldn't do. He did it in our place for our sin so that by grace he could credit to us what he earned. 
So again, he's speaking truthfully about what he's going to do, but he's speaking deeper about what it means for us. You can't do this, but I can. And that's what's so amazing about what gives us hope. And it's like when Jesus was having a conversation with the disciples and people about the rich young ruler. And Jesus tells them, it's impossible to save yourself by riches. And so then the disciples are like, well, who can be saved? In Mark 10, 27, Jesus says, with man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. So Jesus claimed to be God and then he proved it because he did the impossible, the thing that no man could do, raise himself from the dead. But Jesus did it. And that is a truth claim, not only about who Jesus is, but about what he's doing. And what I'm trying to get us to see is live in light of that. Live in light of he did what you couldn't do and now he will empower you to do what you can't do which is to live by faith and not by fear. To not fret, but live out of the truth of the yet. Now look at the last couple verses. 35, Jesus said, the Jews said to one another, what does this man, where does this man intend to go that we will not find him? Does he intend to go to the dispersion among the Greeks and teach the Greeks? The irony of all ironies in the gospel of John is that Notice when I said in verse 30, the hour had not come. They mentioned the Greeks and the dispersion. What's crazy, we'll get to this in John 12, John 12, 20, when it explicitly says his hour has come is when the Greeks show up. And so there's an ironic play going on here in the gospel of John that I didn't even understand until I started studying this deeper is that they don't understand how they are prophesying as well because they said, does he intend to go teach the Greeks? And the prophetic message is, no, 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 no. He intends to go die for our sins, but when he raises from the dead, his apostles will go teach the Greeks. This gospel will go all over the world. So Jesus isn't going all over the world right now. Jesus is going to the grave and then from the grave back to heaven and he's gonna give us the power to go all over the world. And that's the irony of what's going on here. Last verse, verse 36. It says, what does he mean? What does he mean? That's the title of today's message. What does he mean by saying, you will seek me and you will not find me and where I am, you cannot come. My friends, my challenge to you today is figure out what he means by that. What does he mean? Well, I've already told you in large part what he means. What he means is he was going to do what no man could do, which was to make a way to get us back to God. So I always say it's less about Jesus dying to get us to a place, although heaven is a place, I understand that, but the point is to get us back to a person, to get us back to God. Jesus was God from God. He wasn't just talking about a way to get to God, he was from God, and he was God, and he went back to God, making a way for us to get to God. And so when he says, I'm about to go do and go where you can't, I'm about to do my mission. I'm about to complete my mission. And if you understand that, and if you live in light of that, that Jesus completed his mission, then you'll live your life on mission. In fact, that's my point. You might want to write this down. Jesus completed his mission so that we could live on mission. 
Jesus completed his mission so that we could live on mission. And the reason why I'm stressing this is because this is one of the things that bugs me a lot about Christians today is we walk around so anxious and nervous and fearful and we forget that Jesus completed his mission. And then when he rose from the dead, he gave us a mission. Matthew 28, verse 18, 20, it says this, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, fret about your life. Is that what it said? I was hoping you'd pay attention. All authority has been given to him. Therefore, get on Facebook and post to your stories every conspiracy theory. That's what he said to do, right? Therefore, worry about who the president is and who the president isn't. Because we all know if our man is not in the White House, that God's will is not going to be done. Is that what he said? No, what did he say? Therefore, go. See, he completed his mission. Why are you sitting on yours? And what I'm trying to get us to see is the direct connection. My going into all the nations hinges on my belief of the authority that he has in those nations. If I don't think he has authority, then I will be fearful and I will not go. But let me go back to Psalm chapter two. Same Psalm. It's almost like God like puts his stuff here. Verse seven, I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, you are my son, capital S. Today I've begotten you. If you ever wonder where John 3.16 comes from, it comes from here. Verse eight, ask of me and I will make the what? The nations your inheritance and the ends of the earth your possession. See, this is what God was prophesying in the Old Testament about what Jesus would do. So when Jesus was on the cross, he was asking God for the authority of the nations. And God granted it. And that's why when he rose again, Jesus said, go, make disciples of all nations. What if we quit asking God about why this, why this, why this? And we said, God, I want this nation. I want this nation. I want this home. I want this people. I'm claiming it back in the authority of Jesus. I'm not gonna sit around and watch my favorite news channel and fret, but I'm gonna move out with the authority that Jesus won on the cross, knowing that at the name of Jesus, kingdoms and nations will bow. I'm gonna move out with the courage of conviction, knowing that no one will lay a hand on me until it is my time. Verse eight, verse nine. You shall break them with the rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now therefore, O kings, be wise, be warned, O rulers of the earth, earth. Verse 11 and 12. Serve the Lord with fear, rejoice with trembling, kiss 
the Son. Love the Son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. My friends, Jesus completed his mission so that we could live on mission. And this is why I mess with you about end times and all that kind of stuff because people want to know, when's it happening? When's it happening? And yet they won't do the one thing to make it happen. Take the gospel to the nations. If you want Jesus to come back, go tell the nations about Jesus because he ain't coming back till that happens. Quit worrying about the color of the moon and tell your neighbor who might be a different color than you about Jesus. See, we get all worried about the wrong colors, the wrong seasons. And we try to interpret all these events as, as though like this is like some sequential order of things. And, and personally, I don't believe that the book of Revelation is about this sequential order of things. I think it is about a cyclical thing that God does in generations to get people's attention. So I'm far less concerned about trying to figure out where we are in the timeline of heaven and far more concerned about knowing that wherever we are, he is with us. And I can move out in the authority of whose we are. And I can love my neighbor. And I can teach him about Jesus. And we can build the church. That's why I give my life to the building of this church. Not because I'm a pastor, but because I'm a Christian. And it amazes me how Christians get on board with the world and want to tear down the church. That's Jesus' wife you're talking about. I get pretty upset when people talk about my wife. Now, is the church perfect? No. But the gates of hell are not going to stop it. That's what he's doing. So, what does he mean? And what does this mean for you? Let's pray. Father, I pray that we would hear the truth of your word. That no one laid a hand on Jesus until you gave the okay. And the reason that Jesus could hang on the cross is because he knew he was still in your hands. And God, I pray that by the power that brought Jesus from the dead through the Holy Spirit that was given at Pentecost, we would move out with the same courage of conviction. That we would be willing to be hated, not because we argue wrongly, but because we won't back down from the truth about who Jesus is. When we move out into the nations, God, I pray that we would do it in love, but not lying. And God, I pray that the church would stand true on its promises that all authority has been given to you. Therefore, we don't have to fret. We don't have to worry. We can live out of the yet that yet Many people will believe. And God, I pray for those right now today who have not believed, 
pray right now you would overcome their resistance to you as the word has been preached and by the power of your Holy Spirit, you bring them from death to life. No one looking around or talking here as we close, but if maybe for the first time you've heard that Jesus beat death for you and that if you trust him, you'll live eternally because he completed his mission, which was to bring you back to the Father. So if that's you and you wanna trust Jesus today, you can pray with me. You don't have to say it out loud, but it goes like this. Say, Father, thank you for loving me that you sent Jesus in my place for my sin. I'm trusting in Jesus alone that he completed his mission and he died in my place. So I ask you to forgive me. Give me grace that Jesus bought. I give you my life. Nobody looking around or talking, if you're in one of our locations and you just pray to trust Jesus, would you just simply lift up your hand so we can see that? Thank you. We got men and women gonna walk around, put a gift in your hand, and when they do, you can put it down. And whether you're in person or online, in just a moment, you can fill out one of our digital connection cards, let us know who you are. But then those of us who've trusted Jesus, I'm not saying there's not cause for concern, please hear me. Oh, it's very concerning to me. But what I'm saying is don't let the worry paralyze you. Don't let the fear cripple you. Move out in faith knowing that all authority has been given to Jesus so you can go. You can live your life on mission. We talk a lot about that around here. We want you to live your life on mission because Jesus completed his so that you could do that. But the nations will not come back to Jesus if we don't go to them. So let's make a fresh commitment today that we're gonna live out of the yet. We're gonna live out of the truth that God is in control. So we'll trust him. Father, thank you. God, I do pray that we would live out of the truth of this teaching today, that you are in control and that we would move out on mission, knowing that, yeah, we will die. But that's not the greatest tragedy. The greatest tragedy is us wasting our life. And we don't want to do that. So help us to move out in faith, in the yet, knowing that many will believe. So we trust you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Love you, church.